Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. All right, if I could get the ushers to come forward. I've got something to hand out to y'all before we begin this study. I don't know how long this study is going to be. There's 22 chapters. We're getting through about the half of the first one. Uh, if, if you're a... a I'd like to give these out one per family, and so what I mean by, I'll give you an example for Larry and Annette, you all would get one. Now, if it's just one of you at home, uh, you can have it, any single people like that, but, um, and I'll give you some more so you guys can start about halfway back there, if you can hand them out, got some more here. And uh, what these are, I'll show you, it's just something helpful that I think as we begin this study, uh, I got these from... um, David Jeremiah from Shadow Mountain Community Church out there. You open it up, it'll be a timeline. I've given out a timeline before you on Sunday nights for y'all, just a paper copy type of thing, and I know some of you still have that, and I think we've actually got copies back there still. But uh, this one's a little nicer. It it folds out, and it's got things on the other side about really what it means to study the book of Revelation, what we should get uh, from it. And it's just something I want you to have to keep in your Bibles as we go through this study. might help you place uh, where I'm talking about or what this chapter or this passage is talking about. But let's go to Revelation 1 where we were uh, reading just a little bit ago. And uh, we're done with our our study through Acts, uh, a book of the Bible where the birth of the church, where the beginning of the church is described this morning. We begin a study in the book of the uh, book of Revelation, the, the last book in the Bible where the end of the church is described as far as that at least the end of the church here uh, on earth prior to Christ's return and reign. Uh, I got to tell you, I am pretty excited to lead you through this book for uh, at least three reasons. First of all, I've told you this before, uh, but when I was being interviewed here uh, at at the time for the youth pastor position, I was asked uh, why I believe God had called me to be a pastor. I did not have to think about that answer, not even for a second. I had felt God leading me to be a pastor in my late 40s because I genuinely believe the return and reign of Christ is very near, and I feel like God wants me to ready his church for it. Secondly, I'm also excited to to lead you through this book because um, quite a few of you were excited when I mentioned a a while back that I thought maybe this was where we were going to go once we finished through Acts. Uh, I suppose there are some sermons that are deemed better uh, because... There's some sections of Scripture that those sermons are based on uh, that we, we might esteem as being more practical uh, or more relevant to us than others. Can you get more practical about than what, what might happen to us tomorrow? No, I mean, th- th- this is God's Word speaking to us. We have a natural disposition as, as mortal human beings to want to know what is ahead for us. Uh, and for the follower of Jesus here in God's Word, we're told by our Lord, who's sovereign over time, We are told uh, what's ahead for us by our Lord. He's described in Isaiah 46.10 this way. He declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done. He says, my counsel shall stand and I'll do all of my pleasure. He declared all that uh, here in his word, but especially uh, in this last book of the Bible. And the third reason I'm excited to lead you through 
uh, this book of the Bible. And it's a reason you should be excited as well is because of verse 3 here in chapter 1. Can we read that again? Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. Now, this is the only place in Scripture where, where a blessing or what we might call a beatitude is explicitly promised uh, by God for any person who, who reads what God has written here. Now, you're going to be blessed anytime you read the, the Word of God, amen? amen. And, and all of it, from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, but God clearly promises here in verse 3 a blessing from Him to those who read, to those who hear, and to those who keep, to those who obey what God writes to us in this final message to us in His Word. Do you want to be blessed? I do. Um, so before we get to it, let's ask God's blessing on our time together in his word. Lord, we, we come to you now, as, uh, and we come to your word now, and we're so thankful for it. What, what grace you give to us in, um, in giving us the written word here. A, a, a lamp for our feet, a light for our path, and, and it feels darker than it's ever been. And I believe that's because we're getting very near um, this time. The time is at hand, as you said here in verse 3. These things are shortly to come to pass. Thank you so much for giving us a light to, to guide us. Uh, we are not, as you, as you say through the Apostle Paul in Thessalonians, we are not in darkness that this day should overtake us as a thief. Uh, it, throughout your word, from the Old Testament here to the New, you make clear to us um, things that are, are to happen before you return, before Jesus returns to, to reign. And we, we sung about our excitement and our longing, our expectation for that day. Lord, e even grace, as she was saying, there are times when um, we, we feel like this world um, is, is everything to us. And there's times we know that it's not. And, and you redirect our focus to you, especially uh, in, in passages of Scripture like this. So do that for us and keep us with that uh, eternity focus. Uh, our minds set on things above, not on things here on earth. That we might bring you glory and that we might bring others into your kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we study together here in this final message from God's word. First of all, it's Christ's revelation. Um, if you want to know what this book of the Bible is all about, God communicates that to you in the very first five words of Revelation 1.1. Now, if I went to the top of the page in my Bible... Uh, in my Bible, the very same words are used for the title of this last book of the Bible. My Bible calls this book the Revelation of Jesus Christ, and yours should too. If it doesn't, don't get all bent out of shape. Don't be too awful concerned. Um, just like chapters and verse numbers, the titles of books in the Bible are not inspired by God like each and every word of each and every verse is. Uh, I, have, I have some Bibles in my office that call this the Revelation of John or some form of that. Well, it is a Revelation of John but only because Jesus Christ revealed it to John. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's the first thing I want to stress to you. It's what God stresses to us right off the bat in the first five words of verse 1. Here is what this book of the Bible is all about. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's the main figure of this book. He is who this is all about from chapter 1 to chapter 22. 
uh, is about Jesus Christ. Please understand, the, the primary focus of this book as we go through it, and, and probably the months ahead, it is not the end times. It's not the terrible judgments that are a part uh, of the great tribulation, not the seven seal judgments or trumpet judgments or, or bowl judgments. Uh, the primary focus uh, in Revelation is not uh, about uh, Armageddon or the Antichrist. It's Jesus Christ. That's what this book is all about. Uh, Jesus Christ, about the glorious return and reign of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, before we move on, I want you to consider that word revelation. That's an English uh, translation of the Greek word apocalypsis. Uh, and so uh, it, that means unveiling. This is an unveiling. This is a disclosure to us, something God wants to communicate to us. And that's why it's important. That's why God is telling uh, us that. He wants us to know that what is communicated here in this final book of the Bible, it's all about Christ. God wants you to know what's ahead, Christian. There's, there's many believers who have abandoned this book of, of the Bible. And that's not something necessarily just recent. I, it, I think it is a lot recent in our experience. I, I mean, I've seen, I mean, I'm, I'm almost 50 now, but I've seen where from when I was growing up in the 80s, and we talked about this book a lot in church, it becomes less and less and less. I, I've noticed that um, maybe here and, and even in uh, churches like ours, we usually go through chapter 1, 2, and 3, and then and that's about it. We don't get, because it gets, it gets a little crazy, in chapters 4 through 22, we might hit 22, new heavens and new earth. Who doesn't want to hear about that? But uh, as your pastor, I have a responsibility. According to God's word, it says, I am to declare to you the whole counsel of God. That means I don't leave a chapter out. I don't leave a verse out. And that's what we're going to go through uh, together. Uh, even Christians long ago, uh, did you know that sometimes pastors and theologians, they can believe and do and say really stupid things? You're probably like, yeah, no, it's not a surprise. I encounter that on a weekly basis. Um, no, they can't. Uh, it's because we're human. We don't know everything. We make uh, mistakes. I, I am so thankful for the many positive things that uh, result from the life and ministry of Protestant Reformation leaders like Martin Luther, Ulrich Zwingli. Martin Luther penned that incredible hymn, one, one of my favorite hymns, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, and we owe, to, we owe a debt of gratitude to uh, men like them. Uh, they rescued Christianity from the false teachings of Catholicism. Uh, and they preach that God's word alone. <laughs> that is where we should go to, to, be under, to understand that, that we're saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. So I thank God for them. But along, along with the book of James, Luther didn't believe Revelation should even be included in the Bible. Now, Zwingli wrote, we have no concern for it. It's not a biblical book. Now one of the reasons that Luther held such a crazy, to me, crazy position is that he believed that Jesus Christ is neither taught nor acknowledged in this book. I don't know where he gets that, because the first five words are the revelation of Jesus Christ. Who is this book all about? Jesus Christ. What's it all about? The return and reign of Jesus Christ. Now, why would they believe such crazy stuff? I'm guessing they didn't understand this book, and that happens. Um, it, it, there's tons of crazy doctrines about this book from people who don't understand it. They didn't understand what was written in it. Is this easy to understand? No, not for you, not for me. And here's the thing. If you don't come to this book of the Bible like you come to the whole rest of God's word, uh, if you don't read it and believe that what God is communicating to us here should be taken literally, unless it's obvious that God's using symbolic or allegorical or metaphoric language, well, you're going to come to incorrect, inc incorrect conclusions just like they did. 
All right? If you do not let Scripture interpret Scripture, it is going to be extremely difficult for you to understand what God says here. I don't believe it's as hard to understand as many people make it. It is the revelation. It's the unveiling. It's the disclosure of Jesus Christ. Does God want us to understand Christ? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and that's what he's going to do. And when we can, this book should not be neglected. It should be read. It should be studied. It should be taught and, and loved by those who are Christ. We, we meet Jesus in the Gospels. We went through Mark uh, about a year ago. I love the Gospels. We meet Jesus uh, in the Gospels. We see the humble, uh, suffering Savior. At the end of them, we see the, the one who had victory over death and this risen king, and he ascends into heaven. But thank God for revelation, because here we see a bigger, we get a fuller picture of Jesus. He's now the glorified uh, one, especially in the first two chapters. That, that's definitely what's highlighted. He, he is the glorified, coming, conquering king. Now, I want you to notice the rest of verse 1. There's a five-fold uh, transmission going on here. God gave it to Jesus to show his servants. That's you and I. Uh, that's the person who was trusted in Jesus the Savior. But it went from God the Father to God the Son and then to an angel who gave it to God's servant John, who wrote this for us. God the Father gave this message to God the Son, who had an angel reveal it to the Apostle John, the same guy who wrote uh, the Gospel of John and the Epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And then John wrote it to you and I, God's servants. So this is a message for us from, from Jesus. In verse 1, it also gives us a brief description of, of what this message is. God wants to show unto his servants the things which must shortly come to pass. We've got to be careful there. Some people get this whole book goofed up because they goof up that phrase right there. They take that word shortly, and they believe that everything that happens here from chapter 1, verse 2, all the way to chapter 22, verse 21, it must have happened shortly to the human conception uh, after John wrote this in about 95 uh, A.D., uh, I was talking with Jared about this back a while ago because he met somebody who believes this. They, they're called preterists. They believe that everything that's in here happened, uh, happened right after John wrote this. Well, that's not what shortly means. I mean, for one, we know that God's conception of time and our conception of time is very different, right? Including what shortly means. And the Greek word translated shortly here is entachai. It means in quickness. In quickness. It means once the ball starts rolling here, once the things that are promised in this book begin to happen, once the prophesied things begin happening, well, they're going to happen shortly. They're going to happen in quickness, in rapid succession, like seven years quickly. You understand? That's what shortly means. One more thing before we leave verse 1. This message from God about Jesus, given through an angel to John for us, says it was sent and signified. Right? And so it was signified. What are the first four letters of that word spell? Sign. So we're not going to get into any of that for a few weeks yet, but we're going to come across many signs in this book. It is prophetic. And just like Old Testament prophecy, we've been going through that on Saturday mornings and men's seven arrows. We've been going through all the minor prophets. Just like those, what God communicates to us here, at times, he does so through symbolic language. That does not mean that everything in this book is symbolic. But as we read it, as we study this book of the Bible together, I want you to notice some words that God inspires John to use. You're going to notice the words as. This was as that. Or this was like, like. This was like this. Or, or this was as it were this. And so understanding um, these as a movement from 
literal descriptions of what's going on to maybe symbolic figures, that will keep you in a right understanding of exactly what God's communicating to us here. It'll prevent us from incorrectly interpreting what God reveals to us here. So let's go to verse 2. So in his life as an eyewitness disciple of everything that Jesus taught and did, as a human author that God inspired to communicate the truths of this book to us, it says in verse 2, John bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and all the things that he saw. We went over verse 3 in the intro. What does God promise the person who reads and who hears and who obeys what God communicates to us here? Blessing. Communicates blessing is, is what we receive from God. Verse 3 closes with this boundary uh, for the blessing. The time's at hand. God says the time is at hand. The, the word time there is keros in the Greek, keros. It, it doesn't mean like, well, right now it is 925. Keros refers to an era. God says this era is at hand. This era began. Uh, with Christ's resurrection from the dead. This era for the church began at the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 that we just got done studying. It began 2,000 years ago. This era began then. Jesus said, I come quickly. Are we closer now than we were when this was written in 95-ish A.D.? Definitely. And so quickly in review before we head to verses 4 to 6. Who is this book about? Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus Christ. It is Christ's revelation. Now, verses 4 to 6 remind us of who he is for us. John tells us of Christ's redemption. Verse 4 starts this way. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come. So John is at this time, he's specifically writing this message to seven different churches. They're geographically located in what was then called Asia, what is today for us modern-day uh, Turkey, where Scott and Mary once lived, um, now, we're going to be introduced to these seven churches in chapters 2 and 3. We've got specific messages for them. But, but there were a bunch more churches uh, in, in Turkey at that time, too. So why does God single out seven here and in verse chapters 20, or 2 and 3? Well, probably because they are meant to represent all churches of all time, as well as being specific churches. We're going to get uh, into that more as we study them later. Th these were prominent churches, for sure. They're ones that the apostle Peter, God had him write, his epistles, First and Second Peter to them. Uh, and like a lot of the Apostle Paul's letters to the churches, you know, those are letters that compose much uh, of the New Testament. John starts here with a salutation and a benediction for them. He desires that they'd experience God's grace and God's peace. Grace and peace from him which is and which uh, was and which is to come. So how do you and I, how is it that we experience God's grace and peace? There's only one way, right? Who's this book about? Jesus Christ. That's how we experience God's grace uh, and, and peace through the redemption that's ours in Jesus. Jesus pours out God's grace to us, the forgiveness of sin through his death on the cross for us, to, to everyone who trusts him as their Savior. Jesus is the one through whom God made peace. Jesus is the one through whom we can have peace, through whom we can have restored relationship with God the Father, the one who is and who was and who is to come. There's so much doctrine in these first eight verses. I mean, that phrase right there, that's a reminder to you and I that God is eternal. Something we're going to need to remember as we go through this book. Uh, something that he's going to remind us of two weeks from now when we finish up chapter one. Because you can read this book and you could get scared. You ought not. Not if you know Christ as Savior. But, but, but the one who's communicating all of this to us is the one who's eternal. Uh, he created time for you and I. We I was born here, and I'm going to be done here on earth here. He created time for us, but he's in control over time. 
God himself, he exists outside of time. What an awesome God, amen? What an awesome God we have. I mean, he's the one who's telling us here in this book uh, what's ahead, but it's not just that he knows it, he's in control over it. I mentioned this on Sunday nights, and I know I've heard a few of you pick up on this little phrase, but it's so important to me. When, when you watch the news and you hear things and you're like, what? And this world's falling apart. It's not. Things are just falling into place. Falling into place, just as God said they would. He's the one who has control over it. I hope you notice that these first eight verses are very Trinitarian, too. The phrase uh, is used here in verse 4, the one who, who is and was and is to come. It's used here for God the Father in verse 4, but later down in verse 8, it's used for Jesus Christ, God the Son. And, and the end of verse 4 talks about God the Holy Spirit. So it's been from the seven spirits, which are from before God's throne. Now, it doesn't mean there are seven Holy Spirits. Uh, this is how the Holy Spirit is described back in Isaiah 11 and 11 too. Uh, it says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Isaiah 11 too, again, if you ever want to jot that down or look at it. So that's where this sevenfold, seven spirits which are before the throne comes from. And the words in these 22 chapters of Revelation and the grace and peace, they're first of all, they're from God the Father who is and was and is to come and they're from the Holy Spirit. And then a third, according to verse 5, they're from Jesus Christ. He's the faithful witness. He's the first begotten from the dead and he's the prince of the kings of the earth. What does it mean that Jesus Christ is the faithful witness? It's talking about Christ's faithfulness to do God's will, to witness, to testify of God's great love for us, even to the point of death. The Greek word that's translated here as witness is martus. It's where we get our English word martyr. For our redemption, Jesus said, not my will, but thine, in the garden before he went to the cross. For our redemption, Jesus hung on, on that cross, and um, he died for us. And for our redemption, he said, it is finished. God's plan to save us, God's plan to redeem everyone who turned from sin and trust in him as Savior was complete. And what does it mean that Christ is the first begotten of the dead? It means that because he didn't stay dead, because after three days Jesus uh, victoriously conquered death by rising from the grave, that Jesus was the first to have an eternal body, the same kind that everyone who trusts in Christ as Savior is going to have, as is described later in the pages of this book. Really, we've got the gospel right here, don't we? Now, what Paul said it was in 1 Corinthians 15 is the gospel that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And he's buried, according to the scriptures. Now, the third day, he rose again from the scriptures, and, and John gives it to us right here. How else is Jesus described here in the opening verses of Revelation about him? He's a prince. I mean, he's a ruler over. He's a prince of the kings of the earth. And I've titled this series, uh, The Return and Reign of Jesus Christ, because that's what this book of the Bible teaches us about. He's going to return here, and he's going to reign here. Amen? I'm looking forward to that day. Now, from the end of verse 5 on into verse 6, we got a praise break. we got a doxology, and this happens often in, in this book. Sometimes a whole chapter is, is dedicated to it. John kind of bursts into song here. Unto him that loved us and he washed us from our sins in his own blood. He's made us kings and priests unto God and his father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. That's a song about Christ's redemption. That he loved us. 
Jesus washed us, washed away our sins with his own blood. Some versions translate it, he loosed us from our sins. The Greek words for washed and loosed are like one little letter different. So which one is it? Yeah, yes. He, he loosed us from our sins by washing them away. This book of the Bible is about Christ's return for us, his reign over us. But all of that future is only possible because of what John just talked about because of what Jesus Christ did for us in the past. That's why John tells us about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. If you have trusted in Christ as Savior, if you've been born again, you are a part of this kingdom he describes here. He has a calling on your life. You're in a new kingdom. It tells us in God's word that you were plucked from the kingdom of darkness and transplanted in the kingdom of God's dear son. And your role, your calling in that kingdom, you're to be a priest. What does that mean? You're to represent God to the people and the people to God. That, that is the calling of every single Christian, not just those uh, in ministry. And so there's some great commission language for us here in these verses. And it says this at the end, to him, to Jesus Christ, the one we've been talking about here, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I hope so. I hope you'll amen that. I mean, that's the end goal, right? When we get to chapter 22, uh, that is going to be our, our total experience. More on this later, but you don't have to wait for that. That's not God's intent. Christ's return and reign, verses 7 and 8. So we're given a command here at the beginning of verse 7. We're told to behold. That means look. <laughs> we're to look. What are we to look at? He cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. They also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, Amen. What's verse 7 talking about? It's talking about the return of Jesus Christ. It's talking about a second coming, not the rapture. It's talking about Christ's second coming. See, see when Jesus returns to take those who have trusted in him as, as Savior up to heaven, um, he comes in the clouds. He comes in the air, God has Paul tell us. And then we go up to meet him in the air, and then he takes us on into heaven. Jesus said that in John 14, right? He said, I go to prepare a place for you. I'm going somewhere else. I'm going to prepare that place for you. And if I go, don't worry. I'm going to come back again. I'm going to receive you unto myself so that where I am, you can be also. Uh, scripture tells us Christians are to behold. We are to be looking expectantly for the rapture of the church, for, for Christ's coming in the air. Um, but this here is talking about Christ's second coming. J just like his first coming, he came down to earth not in the clouds but but with the clouds um, when we when he comes to rapture his church not every eye is going to see him as it states here now god tells us in first corinthians fifteen fifty two that's going to happen in what the twinkling of an eye in the blink of an eye that's going to happen there's no time when that happens for every eye to see him and they also which pierced him they're not going to see us going up uh, that fast and says, they also which pierced him. John's quoting Zechariah 12, our, our men on Bible study at Seven Arrows. We just finished chapter 12. John's quoting Zechariah 12, 10 to 14 here. And let me just pause and say this. This is the 66th book of the Bible. And if you just jump into it, it'd be like going to a book you've never read before and, and just going to the end. You're, you're going to have a difficult time understanding it. The beautiful thing is, uh, and we've learned this in Bible study with the, the men, there's prophecy throughout Scripture, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And, and all these trains, they're like trains of prophecy, and Revelation is Grand Central Station, and they're all coming together. 
and you got to know the first 65 books if you're going to understand what 66 book is about, but you can. And you can see all these prophetic trains, and they're, they're coming here to, to Grand Central Station. It's a beautiful thing. This is referring here to, specifically to the Jewish people, they also which pierced him, the ones who rejected Jesus as Messiah at his first coming. They pierced him, but as at his second coming, they will see him. They'll mourn for him. They'll mourn for rejecting him. And as God tells us through the Apostle Paul in Romans eleven 26, they'll turn in faith to Christ at that time. Looking forward to that day. As God tells us in Zechariah 13, what one-third of them. He gives us a specific amount. One-third of them will turn to Christ. Won't that be wonderful, Christ's return and reign? It says, even so, amen, and that's what I say. Now, if you've got a red-letter Bible, verse 8 probably changes colors. Jesus is speaking here. And he says to us, as we begin to study this book, Jesus says to us who want the blessing of reading and hearing and obeying his message to us here. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and Omega. I'm the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. He's the Alpha and the Omega, Jesus. He's the beginning and the end. The first and last letters of the Greek alphabet, everything in between. Back in verse 4, God the Father identified himself as the eternal one who is and was and is to come. And here Jesus says, me too. I am the one which is and which was and which is to come. I'm eternal. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is our sustainer. Christmas is coming, right? Not long from now. You understand that Jesus did not begin in a manger in Bethlehem, right? That's not when he began. God God has Micah predict that as Jesus' birthplace in Micah 5, 2. But I want you to listen to what else it says in that verse. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. And listen to this description. His goings forth are from of old, they're from everlasting. Just like God the Father, Jesus Christ, God the Son, he's eternal. He was and he is and he is to come. And he's coming back for us, church. He's coming back for us. Maybe today. There's nothing more that needs to happen. Nothing else in all of God's word that needs to happen first. Now there's about seven years worth of very specific and described things that need to happen before he comes back to earth to return and reign. But there's nothing. There's absolutely nothing that needs to happen, nothing that's preventing his return in the clouds, in the air, to rapture his church and to get all these things that are shortly to come to pass rolling. 2,000 years ago, God inspired John here to write this message to us. The time is at hand. Are you ready? Will you be among those who go with him? Do you know the grace and peace that is from God and that's only found in trusting Jesus as Savior? Have you ever done that? Have you ever trusted in Christ as Savior? What he's done for you on the cross, what he did for you in the empty tomb to save you from your sins, to give you eternal life, to make you his to belong to Jesus, as Grace sang about, to, to be among those he comes back to take with him. And, and I'm asking if there's ever been a time when you've been saved, when you've been born again, a, a point in time in your life when you heard this, you heard the gospel that was declared here by the Apostle John, and you confessed your sin in prayer to God, and you told him that you're only going to, from here on out, I'm only trusting in who Jesus is and what he did for me to be my Savior. If you've never done that, do it now. A Christian, you who have, you're like, yeah, I remember that day. I'll never forget it. My life changed. My whole life has been transformed ever since. Well, this book is all about your Lord and Savior. 
It's a book that promises blessing to those who will read it and hear it and live, live by it. Are you doing that? Are you willing to do that? Will you ask God this morning? I want that blessing. So God, as we go through this book over the next couple months, will you, will you make your word come alive to me? Will you pray that this morning? God, God help me to understand things. Help me to see truth that I've never saw before. That'd be a good start. Will you ask him to do what God intends for this book to do? God tells us here in verse 7, Behold, look, we're to be looking for Christ's return. He tells the Christian elsewhere in his word, be constantly looking, constantly living with a sense of expectation for the any minute return of Jesus to come and get us because that has incredibly strong sanctifying power. Hey, if, if you've been struggling with some sin and you're like, man, there's days when I'm victorious and there's days when I don't feel like I can do anything and the devil just wraps his, his hands around my throat, it's incredibly strong sanctifying power when you're living with a sense of expectation that Jesus could come back any moment. That's why God tells us over and over, especially in the New Testament, to be looking, to set our minds on things above, not here on earth. To set our minds on, on things in heaven where, where Christ is. Doing that is going to change how you live. It will. It's going to change what you value. It's going to change what you love and what you think about, what you spend your time out. It's going to, it's going to change what's most important to you in your life. And that's a great thing. That's what's supposed to happen. That's what God wants. That's why he reveals what he reveals to us here in this book. Verse 6, it ended with a doxology this way. To him, to Jesus Christ, be glory and dominion forever. And if you're like me, you're like, yes. That's what I want, Lord. That's what I'm waiting for. Why am I waiting for it? Why am I waiting for it? Is that what my life shows? You do not have to wait for Jesus Christ to have glory and dominion forever and ever in your life. I'm, I'm thankful from the gospel that I'm saved from the penalty of sin. I got a home in heaven for eternity. I don't have to go to hell where I deserve. And I'm thankful that in the gospel, I'm saved from the power of sin, that because I know Christ as Savior and his Holy Spirit and dwells me and desires to fill me, I can't say no to sin right here, right now. And I'm looking forward to that day when I'm completely safe from the presence of sin. That's my favorite thing about heaven. No more sin. <laughs> but glory and dominion, you don't have to wait till then to give that to Jesus Christ forever and ever. That can be happened. That should already be how Christ is regarded in the life of the Christian. Does he have dominion in your life this morning? Or is there some area you're like, yeah, you can have everything but that? Is he being, is he being glorified in how you've lived this week? If that's not the case, in response to God's word, won't you confess it in prayer to God this morning? Tell him, I want to give you dominion over my life, Lord. You're my Lord. <laughs> I'm going to start living like that's true. I want you glorified in my life today. Tommy, would you come and lead us in a time to respond to God's word?